Waterboarding. They're talking about wakeboarding. The thing about wakeboarding, every trick is an invert. Backside. Backside. Air railing. A new dimension. Everybody is going huge. What do you think about waterboarding? I said, I like it a lot, but I don't think it's tough or no. You do your, Trying to get a sneak peek? You, sneak do your, peek? you do your prep. Oh, I got a lot of prep. You yeah, that was, prep. We probably did six hours last night, uh, a full prep on uh, on you. So. Really? Who's, yeah. who's we? Just me and a couple beers. Uh, I like that. <laughs> I like that. Oh, man. All right. <laughs> Welcome back to the Grab Matters podcast. Today, we got Eric Ruck on. He's an OG wakeboarder um, involved with Ronix Wakeboards now, Square One. You, or Square One. Um, he's uh, He's got a stacked resume, so he's kind of done it all and won it all. Um, how you doing, Eric? Doing excellent. Doing excellent. Nice to have you on here. Glad, um, to, glad to be on the show. Glad to have you on. I got a quick question here. Who shot first, Han or Greedo? Who what? Who shot first, Han or Greedo, on Solo? You know, dang, that is a good question. I'm going to have to say Han. You think so? I mean, Han pretty much knew the situation he was in. He knew, you know, job was coming after him, and he's taking care of uh, business. Yeah. Taking care of business as usual. Yeah, yeah. I did a little. I know you're you're pretty into Star Wars, right? Yeah, I dig it. Yeah, I did a little deep dive on on <laughs> first Greedo, and I think that's the uh, consensus is yeah. on shot first. Yeah, he's not fucking around. No, no. <laughs> um, I do want. I'm actually curious about that Star Wars experience. I kind of overheard you talking about it last time I was down here um, at Disney. That yeah. like full on experience. So I, I yeah. do kind of want to hear about that a little bit. Yeah, I got a. Um, I got a good buddy, Mike Whip, has been with Disney forever, and uh, he was on the team getting that whole experience set up. So when they were doing their soft opening, they had a week where the employees could bring their families, and they had to sign up but to do the whole experience. So he brought uh, Shane and I. Shane Bonifay is a Star Wars, an avid aficionado. <laughs> Star Wars, uh, yeah, definitely aficionado. But, um, so we got to go through the entire experience and i i do have to say if you are a star wars fan you eat breathe and sleep star wars sleep i mean you don't you don't leave it's not like it's it's not like you go to this resort and like you get over it and you go by the pool there's no pool you're in star wars land and you dress up i'm guessing well we did not know this, but yes, people dress up. You like supposed, but not supposed to, but like most people do. It's it's like next level, like a LARPing experience, <laughs> live action role play. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That, I mean, it's serious, but the attention to detail and the cool thing is, so you get this app on your phone, and your everyone's experience is different based on the decisions you make. So you're getting like hit up by the um the dark side, the, the, you know, the, the rebellion and then the first order is constant and they're trying to get you to do missions for either side. So how you react to, you know, the missions that you jump on basically determines how your entire experience is. That's sick. And you can go to the cantina. Oh yeah. Okay. And you can get like, they they got alcohol there. Oh yeah. And whatnot. Uh, that's so cool. Oh yeah. That's a, that's, I mean, be, besides not being able to leave star Wars world for, that entire time, there are bars. Okay, more than the cantina. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. Okay, yeah. On That's the, super on the, sick. So you're like on a ship the whole time. It's like a hotel, basically, yeah. but it's a ship. Yeah. Okay, and just the people in the experience are staying there. Exactly. And what do you think that costs? Like, just for you know, two people to go do it for. I think for four people for the the entire experience is like two and a half days. I think it's five grand per per person or for the for the squad. I think for the squad. Okay. 
and it's it's all food all food is is a a part of it it's it's like there's like a galley like a ship's galley where there's just like buffet style like all day long and then so it's like all inclusive yeah and then they have like a full dinner with like you know like like shows going on like like you're literally on on a cruise like a star wars cruise ship is like the idea that's sick yeah it's pretty cool i guess five grand divided by four people two and a half nights like it still expensive but it's sounds like it's pretty cool worth it it if if you were it's worth it if you're if you love star if you're wars. A star wars nut yeah. yeah okay um i guess we can kind of pivot a little bit to wakeboarding um I do want to jump into just like where you're from and how you got into water sports, mm-hmm. not even wakeboarding, just like water sports in general. Yeah. So I grew up in Twin Lakes, Wisconsin, which is uh, right in between Chicago and Milwaukee next to Lake Geneva. Um, there's a show ski team in the town I grew up in called the Aquanuts and uh, grew up watching them. And when I was 10 years old, joined that. But besides that, like my family was just a, a boating family, grew up, we had a 16 foot uh, glass tron growing up you know learned how to ski learned how to trick ski then uh yeah joined the aquanuts and uh kind of just went down the the water ski uh you know rabbit hole so how old were you when you started water skiing i was six when i first learned how to okay s- just straight ski and was wakeboarding probably wasn't really a thing back then wakeboarding wasn't a thing yet like when i was 10 um when i joined the aquanuts i started trick skiing and started you know slalom tricking and you know I, n- I never was really like a three event trick skier i was more like wakeboarding on a trick ski yeah. be- before wakeboarding was really a thing just because that was just what was fun i hated like toe turns and stuff like that my dad one of the things to get my actually when i this is kind of funny about trick skiing so when my second wakeboard was the limited edition blue and gray flight 69 sick and to get that my dad was like basically i forget exactly what it was but i had to learn like this certain like toe turn on a on a trick because my dad was hyped on trick like loved trick skiing what's a toe turn i'm not gonna lie where where, where you put your foot in the rope oh yeah that stuff's no oh that's the worst (laughs) that's the worst but uh, you had to learn that to get the deck. yeah I, I I could do I I forget what it was but yeah I had to do it some sort of toe pass that my dad was hyped on to and then I was like signed off to get a twin tip sick <laughs> <laughs> so you're still riding behind that glass round I'm guessing when you get that wakeboard um no actually right that was like my family's boat like that my mom had when like from the time she was like 16 so then we got a sea swirl. Which was like an off-brand, like I think the company that made it was OMC. Never heard of them. They're a Midwest company. Okay. A mid. I think they were actually out of Milwaukee. And uh, it was kind of like, uh, do you remember the old Mastercraft, the Maristar? Yeah. So it was like a V drive or a. It was. It, it was a, just an inboard. Just an inboard. I guess yeah. not V drive. But it was. Then, it was but... like. It kind of looked like a Maristar. Okay. So it threw a decent wake. Though. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you're riding behind that thing. Do you guys live on the lake then? We lived right down the road from the lake, and we, like, basically just, like, rented a, a, a slip, a slip at, gotcha. at, at a dock, at a restaurant. So you're getting a lot of time on the water, though, in oh, the yeah. summer. We live we lived on the water. Yeah. Sick. Okay, so when do you get that wakeboard? What age would you say that is? Um, I'm going to say 
Um, so uh, let's see, what age was I at when I got my my first wakeboard? Was a Hyperlite XP, which is directional with the you know the strap bindings and all that. Um, I'm gonna have to say I was probably let's see, summer in between. I think eighth grade and high school. So let's see, that would be ninety four. Okay. So that's when you like started wakeboarding basically is, is that zone. Yeah. yeah. Um, and how, af- how quickly afterwards did you start taking it pretty seriously? Instantly. <laughs> okay. Like, so like I was saying, like I trick skied and like was basically wakeboarding on a trick ski. So I was just like waiting for this to come along, not knowing. You didn't know what was yeah. next, but you were ready for it. Yeah. Like, so Basically, like, I was trick skiing, wakeboarding on a trick ski, right? And then I saw the movie Spray and completely changed my life. Yeah. Like, complete. I remember, like, going, and this, okay, that verifies the year for sure because my freshman year of high school, I played soccer. Don't know why, but I played soccer. And all I remember is... I, I think about this all the time, actually. I remember being at soccer practice and waiting, like, literally counting down the seconds till soccer practice was over so I could go home and watch Spray. <laughs> so you just like, watched it over and over. Dude, just wore this VH out. Like, and, like, we had a trampoline, and I, like, was, like, all winter long learning these tricks that these guys were doing on the trampoline, right? And then, like, when summer came along, like, it just like happened, like you know what I mean. Like yeah. I already knew how to do the tricks in my head. You just need to get on the water and exactly. do exactly. And like, yeah, that's like just how in love I felt. Like I was just like, this is it. Like I can't even imagine doing anything else. Wow. Okay. So it's pretty instant. Yeah. Um. I mean, it's obviously you were into water sports before that, so that helps a lot. Where did you get spray? Like, where did you get that VHS tape? Um. Let's see. Uh. A marina or yeah, I think it was um, Munson. Munson at that before it was Munson Ski. It was called Munson Marine. Okay, and uh, it's a shop that I actually worked at from the time I was probably fourteen to seventeen, eighteen, right before I moved to Florida. Okay, so yeah, we can kind of jump into that. Um, but for when you were in Wisconsin. Um, so it's probably what three summers there that you're wakeboarding before you moved down to Orlando, two summer, three summers, two summers. I moved down in uh, September of '99, so yeah, from I was wakeboarding up there from '94 to '99. Okay, so five years yeah. ish. Um, did you get any sponsors when you were up there? Yeah, yep. I um, well, I started riding for Munson Ski, and uh, they I worked there and rode for them, but then I got sponsored by. From the lo- local rep, his name, he's this Australian cat named Lester Priday that did Liquid Force, Reef, and Dragon. So I got sponsored from him as just like a local rider for all three of those companies. So there, is there any money involved there? Or is it just free stuff? No, no, that's okay. just, just flow and just being able to go to you know, events and stuff. Events and yeah. Hang out and say you're sponsored. Yeah, that's the coolest thing as a as a kid that uh, age, yeah. just be like, oh, I'm a sponsored wakeboarder for sure. <laughs> so you so you're kind of getting hooked up by those companies um, when you're in Wisconsin. Yeah. 
So you're stick, you're taking wakeboarding seriously. You're competing, I'm guessing, then, too. Yeah, just, like, the local contests. Okay. And then, so, I rode for them, but then back in the day in Chicago, there was a surf expo in Chicago that was called M-Tech. And it was, like, an off like an off-brand of actual surf expo and it was actually a big show back in those days like a really big show like it's it's you know what 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 surf expo has become and like people's perceived notion of what it is now is it's kind of sad because it was such an exciting thing and there was so much energy and to be a kid to go to the well where i'm going with that is i went to mtech and there was this company from washington called sage wakeboards Colin Wright originally rode for him. And uh, I brought my little VH demo tape there and played it for him, and they sponsored me. Like, legit sponsorship. Like, not not getting paid or whatever, but it was like... Did you sign something? Like yeah, it was, it, was okay. like, it was like a real sponsorship. So I rode for them for about a year, a year and a half maybe. Okay. Yeah. No, no money, but was there like a travel budget, or were they like flying you anywhere to do any contests or anything? No, because I was basically in high school, and they—I think they maybe like ran like one ad that I was in or something like okay. that. You know what I mean? So it was like something. It was more than just like a rep hookup. You know what I mean? Like it was. There was like, a relationship. You it had it with was them. actually riding, like you know, factory style. Yeah. Okay. So I guess did that end while you were still in Wisconsin? Like kind of start and end when you were still there? Yeah. Yeah. Why did that end? <laughs> um, because uh, I think they ended. <laughs> they were just like a small company just like trying to do their thing you know what i mean and yeah i think they they pretty much just kind of called it quits and then at that point i um i started riding for a full tilt okay how did that opportunity kind of come about full tilt was uh i I was riding junior contests and uh they approached me Hmm. yeah i was by that point, I was doing there was, um, there was a really big contest in the Midwest called the Cincinnati Open, which was at this quarry, and it was really really cool. And I met like, that's where I, where I met like Ryan Wolf. We became friends there, like probably like '96, like for the first time, like a bunch of, a bunch of the guys like the, you know, in that in that day it was all ju- those junior men's, uh, like all those kids, uh, and. I already knew Shane and Parks because, to cut back, um, the show ski team that that was in my hometown, Betty Bonifay would come and teach all the girls how to swivel ski. So a couple years, she would bring Parks and Shane up. So I think I met Parks and Shane for the first time probably in 96. Okay. And then we just became friends because I was already into wakeboarding, and Parks was just blowing up at that time. And when we first started out, I was actually, you know, became better friends with Shane because you know we were we were both nerds and we 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 just kind of like liked the same stuff and Parks was like you know a big deal and so like me and me and Shane built our relationship off of uh you know making fun of Parks (laughs) (laughs) well he's cashing fat checks to the bank I'm sure at that point um so I guess kind of moving to Florida were there any other sponsors in Wisconsin that were like kind of helping you out or was it just those few and then um so when I moved to Florida I was riding for full tilt and um I was riding 
I think for dra- for sure Dragon. Um, uh, who else was there? I think I think just Full Tilt and Dragon. Full Tilt Dragon, possibly Reef. I can't remember exactly when I really signed. I think I was still riding kind of like for the rep for Reef okay. at that time period, but I did end up signing with like really signing with Reef a, a year or two later. Okay, so did did you sign with Full Tilt though? Yeah, I was okay. si- fully signed with Full Tilt. Yeah. And what was that like contract looking like? Well, that was so that I signed with Full Tilt my senior year in high school, and it was a three year contract. I think it was like starting out like maybe like seven fifty a month, and by the third year was like two grand a month. Jeez. <laughs> and I was but- in high school, like, and they approached me like it was. It was cool. Like that like that like sealed the deal to my parents like this is a thing. Yeah, this is a career like yeah. we don't have to worry about, you know. Yeah. yeah, this him not going to college or whatever. Yeah. Like this is a thing. Like yeah, I remember like my dad like couldn't believe like my mom went with me to uh, a Nationals. I believe it was in Denver. What year would that have been? 97, 98, somewhere in there. So just before you, when did you move down to Florida? 99? 99, yeah. Okay, so just before you were moving down there. Yeah, like a year before I moved down. And uh, went out to dinner, and they gave me this contract. And and I just remember, like, I just remember, like, my parents just like, wow, like, this is this is real. So was there any negotiating there? Or was it just like you couldn't even believe that they were going to pay you this much Oh, yeah, money? no, there was, like... there was no negotiating. I was like, uh, yes. <laughs> yes, yes, please. <laughs> Sick. Okay, so then I, I guess kind of jumping into moving down to Orlando, um, obviously now you're making a good amount of money from wakeboarding, so it's not really like a you're not taking a huge risk moving to Orlando. You kind of already have a, have support. Right. Um, so who do you live with down there? Where are you riding down down here? I guess now. Yeah. Um, um. So when I first moved to Florida, it was the year basically following my first year on Pro Tour. My first my my my. First year on Pro Tour was the summer of 99, right out of, like, graduated high school and then straight on to tour. So, um, uh, you know, I met everybody on tour, and Dean Lavelle lived in uh, the same town as Parks and Shane. So, regardless, I was going to move down with Parks and Shane because I'd be, you know, been coming down and hanging with them and riding. Yeah. Like, all through me riding junior men's, I was coming down and staying with Parks and Shane and, you know, getting ready for contests. And so I already knew the area and, like, was – you know, felt good there. So I moved in with Dean Lavelle and, uh, yeah, I lived there for a, about a year and a half and, you know, it was outside of Winter Haven, Lake Alfred. So it was like middle of the you know country in the middle of nowhere and, you know, moving, being from the Midwest, moving to the country and Florida is definitely a little bit of a Florida's way different than the Midwest. A little bit of a change, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a little bit of a, a little culture shock. But, yeah. But uh, it was good, man. I learned, learned, I learned uh, definitely how to, you know, just be on your own, you know? Right, yeah, because you're what, 18, 19? Yeah, 18. So that's, I mean, that's a big step kind of moving out on your own to a different state, you know, just chasing the, the wakeboard thing. What boat are you guys riding on or riding behind then? So Dean had a aeronautique. Parks had the first X Star right there. That, that was that was the the year the the actual X Star came out, and uh, 
then that following after that first year on the pro tour, then I got sponsored by Tyga. So that was what two thousand then or nine? No, that was still ninety nine. It was ninety nine. Okay. Uh, Thought I had it. You signed with, signed in two thousand. Oh uh, no, you're right. That, yep. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yep. Did a little bit of homework. I like that. I like that. <laughs> so you signed in two thousand with Tyga. Yeah. Um, I have no idea what that would like. They give you a boat and money, or like, how does that work? Yep, boat and money. Boat and money. Yeah, I think. Um, can't remember exactly what they. This. I think it was around a grand or something like that. Okay. So, and that's stacking on top of obviously the other deals you have going on. Um, something like that. But yeah, like that, that whole deal came, came about because when I was on tour riding for full tilt, Kobe Mikasage, I mean, the cool to go back to riding for full tilt, like beyond the contract that was going on to a team of legends, Thomas Harrell. Kobe Mikasich, Mike Weddington, Andrea Gayton. I mean, like, like those were, like, my video heroes. Guys have been looking up to. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, Kobe, Kobe, Weddington, Thomas. Like, Thomas, that was, like, Thomas is, like, leaving wakeboarding, like, and going straight wake skating at that yeah. time. So, like, I only really was, like, on the team with Thomas for, like, a second. And then he was kind of done wakeboarding. Yeah. But, so... Being able to uh, hang with Kobe was a very life-changing deal for me because at that time, Kobe Mikasage and Chris Bischoff had a bus tour. And they were going from tour to tour doing the, the what they called the uh, Fantastic Voyage. And they it was sponsored by Tyga. They'd pull a boat. They'd go to all the Tyga dealers on the way to tours and do demos and hang out and so i got jumped on board with those guys and started doing you know the fantastic voyage and was just on an rv going just in the mix across the country and that like that to me like changed my whole life from just seeing you know like just open like i'm 18 19 years old and like the whole world is just in front of me. I'm on the road with my heroes and, and it just like was like this light bulb that was just like, just opens your eyes to the whole just industry, a, just and... a whole new world of what could go on. And so from that, that's how I got sponsored by Tyga was going on the road with these building guys. that relationship it, kind of along the exactly. way. Exactly. But yeah, man, I'll tell you what going on the road like that, I mean, seeing the country from an RV and seeing the lakes and being, you know, going to every different kind of lake and different scene from West Coast to East Coast to Midwest. I mean, that was really cool because you're just seeing the people that you're hanging with the people that are honestly paying your salaries, the people that are buying wakeboards, that are buying boats, that are that are really in it. Yeah. And to like. You know, there's people that I still keep in contact with that I met on those tours. Really? To this day. And 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 I feel like that's kind of cool. I feel like that's something like that uh more than wakeboarding just, you know, on a human level. Yeah, just life like like that's cool like making those types of relationships and sustaining them when when a relationship doesn't have to do with anything, you know what I mean? Yeah, just 
just m- nothing more than like getting along with each other and having yeah, a good time. Exactly. Yeah. No business deals or anything going exactly. on. Exactly. Sick. So you kind of go through that tour, get linked up with Tyga. Um, before we move past that, I do want to talk about just you walk me through like the pointless crew, how it got started, everything about that, like from the start of when you were in it or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Pointless crew. The point, the pointless crew is, that was, that was a, you called the pointless posse. Yeah. Is that, okay. Yep. Pointless posse. Don't want to sound. <laughs> nah, pointless crew, pointless posse. But yeah, we, we were referred to as the pointless posse. So the pointless posse was, it was Shane Parks, Chad Sharp, Brian Grubb, um, Sean Watson, Nick Weinecker, and myself, and Francois Roy, who is a French writer. And uh, he used to come and stay at Shane's house for, well, he basically lived at Shane's house for a handful of years. But, um, yeah, we were just a, a bunch of knuckleheads. Just d- delinquents. <laughs> That that wakeboarded, and I mean, we we were like the a crew that was looking at wakeboarding from, you know, like Thomas Harrell's perspective was like, let's take wakeboarding uh, as far away of from water skiing as possible, and we weren't necessarily fully in that mindset because a lot of us came from water skiing and came from boating we were more or less all skateboarders snowboarders and it was the era of x games was hot you know what i mean like extreme sports was hot like anything extreme yeah mountain dew (laughs) very extreme so extreme but we were basically looking at it as how do we make wakeboarding to be as, you know, to replicate and simulate what, make it look like, make it feel like snowboarding and skateboarding. And we, you know, started really building rails. And I mean, we just, our rails just look like trash heaps. I mean, if if you watch Incomplete, like it's just junk piled on junk. Yeah, I do want to talk about that <laughs> a little bit. In a little bit. <laughs> We just didn't care. We were just like, but we, we also like, we're documenting everything too. Like, so what happened was there was a, a contest series called the Vans Triple Crown. It went through skate. It was, there was skateboarding, snowboarding, wakeboarding, Vans sponsored it. There was one in Pensacola, Florida, I believe in 2000. I think it was 2000. Okay. And uh, Shane won it. And I think I got second. And with that money that Shane won, he bought a, a Panasonic. Oh, what is it? It's a, he's got a tattooed on his shoulder. I forget. It's a. I forget what it's called. It wasn't a VX one thousand, was it? Might have been. It might have been. Yeah. Does he still have it? Oh yeah. Okay, I think it's a VX one thousand. Yeah. But anyways, how wait? How much was that check for? A lot. Yeah. Those X, I mean, that was uh, not X Games. That was the Vans, right? Yeah, those must have been pretty good. I think second place. I think I got like, I don't know, maybe like twenty five hundred bucks or something like okay. that. But like he, it was over five for those. I think it was maybe like eight. Yeah. 
I think. I mean, a camera setup back then has got to be. Well, he got he got a camera and a computer. Oh, okay. And that basically really, because Shane and I were for a long time we were talking about doing a video and like this crew and revolutionizing wakeboarding and you know living it. We didn't give a shit. Like we we're just we we're just being. Yeah. There was no. Like, in those days, you were sponsored. Like, all you had to do is make sure you showed up to the photo shoots, make sure you went to the contest, because contests were were a big deal. You had to do good in contests. But there was no, like, social media. There was no, like, day-to-day. You know what I mean? Like, we could do whatever we wanted. And all we wanted to do is really ride and cause trouble. Party a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We definitely did a little bit of partying. Um, but... We were just engulfed in it. You know what I mean? Like, everything we did was... It was, like, you know, like, the realest time I can remember of, like, just be... Of, like, really being wakeboarding. Not, like, like trying to be a wakeboarder. Not, like, looking at it like, this is what I have to do. Just being wakeboarding. Just kind of no worries about the future or the past or anything. You're just in the moment wakeboarding. Every day. Which... And with this this whole group of dudes that was everyone was in the same mindset and then and you know everyone pushed each other and that's when i mean parks was just inventing tricks left and right yeah and like the rail hits that parks was doing virtually there'd be days where parks would do 10 never been done before hits in a row like because no one it just wasn't done. People weren't building rails, like, with actual... You know, there was some flat bars back in those days and whatever, but, like, we were building gaps and, like, kinks transitional and- stuff, kinks. And, like, it was just... It was really... Apart from being able, you know, riding the stuff and doing it, but to watch all that go down, like, on a daily basis, like, when I look back on it, I was like, man, that was such a special time in wakeboarding to be a part of that because it was all just so new. It wasn't replicating anything. It was happening all in real time. And it, it was it was insane. It was insane. Feels like it was happening very fast too. It like was happening very fast. The progression was yeah. very quick. Yeah. Um so you did in a previous interview you kind of mentioned um there was quite a few different stories uh crazy stories with the pointless guys. Um, I've got a list of <laughs> topics, but you didn't expand upon them. So I would definitely like to hear you expand on a couple. Yeah, for um, sure. The, for the sure. first one was a crazy master's story. So I don't know if there's anything that jumps out when I say that. I mean, there's honestly, <laughs> there's so many. Let's hear one. You got any? Yeah, I got a couple. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let them let rip. <laughs> well, there's, I mean... Obviously, if you've ever been to a Masters, one of the main things you have to do is jump off the pavilion at night. I mean, this is this is just, you know, scratching the surface of it's Masters. That's what everybody's got to do. Yeah, every, I mean, it's a rite of passage. Yeah, okay. It's a rite of passage. But, like, the fun thing is, like, we would always get a cabin, and it would be the pointless cabin, and it would just be all us. And, like, there was the hotel, the main hotel at Callaway, and then the cabins. And the cabins, you could go through the woods and make it down to the water. And it's also a, a golf course. So we would always, when we were leaving 
the site, we would steal a couple golf cart keys. So then we'd come back at night, take the golf carts, and then we basically would just rally golf carts <laughs> all night long everywhere. And like literally purposely try to get chased by security. It was more fun. Oh, it's way more fun. I mean, and we would just, you know, rally and jump the pavilion. I remember a couple of years jumping the pavilion and then security coming down and us like all underneath the dock, like just waiting it out. And then they'd roll. We'd hop on the carts and just roll back and then they'd be on us. And then we'd stash the carts in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, then, I mean, I mean, there's, there's so many stories. I mean, I mean, we did the pointless crew, I would say destroyed masters for about a decade. In a good way and a bad way. In a good way and a bad way. <laughs> in a good way and a bad was way. Was there any flack? I mean, you're getting from any oh, event organizers, well, all that shit. Here here's here's like where we were. Like here this is a this is a good understanding of where we were at. So one year Parks wins the contest. He's coming in and the the water ski jump off limits. Like I think this is on video, but go like, on. Like you you're hey, meeting before wakeboarding. No water ski jump. Do not hit the water ski jump. Parks sticks his double half cab, whipping in, freaking whips in and hits the, the ski jump and just straight up just just uh ejects like just straight up supermans and dives in and like the crowd goes insane. He basically comes in, security's waiting for him, and the at the time Nautique guy, uh, what was his name? Uh, uh, one of the Maloons. Well, anyways, doesn't matter. That's irrelevant. Anyways, he uh, walks up with security, and Parks is escorted off the premises <laughs> by security for hitting the ski jump. <laughs> so, like, literally, like, that's how at that time. Like it's it's changed now, but like this was like such a heavy. This is probably like nine two thousand maybe two thousand one two thousand three, so early two thousands. And that's basically how at that time point. In the water ski world of like. The masters being like such a highly regarded. Just entity of yeah. of the sport, like that's how serious it was taken, and we were just there having fun. And, and like the fact that Parks was like escorted off the premise for hitting a ski jump, like just kind of shows you like what the rest of the industry actually thought about wakeboarding. Like, like in no point did any of these people understand how seriously Parks and, and the rest of us were like changing the game for the boating industry, for every aspect of the industry because they they're just kind of you know there's that that world of water skiing I feel like it's changed like we were talking uh, before this even started about Joe Polans and yeah. kids like that such such an amazing personality and 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 uh I think doing amazing things for skiing because they're just changing that I feel like the mentality has has changed for that I feel like that mentality of water skiing really hurt water skiing for a long time and I feel like it's come out of that, but that's that's what we were breaking away from 
Yeah, not taking yourself too seriously. And, like, I feel like snowboarding in general is always, like, a rebellion. Yeah. Like, no matter what boarding it is, if it's snowboarding, skateboarding, wakeboarding, like, they each have their own rebellion. And it sounds like you guys were kind of rebelling against, maybe not the industry, but, like, what people thought of water sports and yeah. what water sports was. Totally. For sure. Especially at that at that time period. And that's, like, like I said, like, the whole extreme thing was becoming a thing. And then... You know, X Games started, and I mean, we were all going to. I mean, from from '99 to 2005, I went to every single X Games there was through that time period, and I mean, that that alone was a really big impact on the sport. Yeah, tell me, kind of walk me through those X Games events and like what the environment was like and the event they put on, like because it's got to be it's kind of second to none compared to a lot of other contests. Yeah, I mean, you had all the, you know, top skate guys. There was street. There was half pipe. I mean, we all saw Tony Hawk land the first 900. You were there? Yeah, we were all there. Sick. I mean, we saw Travis Pastrana when he jumped the bike into the San Francisco Bay. Did you see that? Like, it was right next. Like, the, the motocross setup was right on, like, one of the piers, like, on the bay. And he booted out of the whole course into the San Francisco Bay like it was just it was crazy like I remember like we were at the hotel and we get in the hotel uh, get in the elevator and like we're all young and we're for some reason there's a Denny's in this hotel that didn't card anybody and we were just (laughs) we were just sending and we're I was like probably 18 19 and all of us were and I just remember like being buzzed up and getting in the elevator like look around and look up and we're standing like Tony Hawk's like standing right behind us in the elevator and we're just like I just remember like that being like something that was just like, wow, like this is a big deal. This is my life now. But yeah, this, this is, is a big I'm deal. Doing. Like this is a big deal, and like, you know, like obviously, like I know I'm jumping around a lot right now, but it's good. It's good. I like it. That today, you know, like they 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 did those video X game parts and stuff like that. Real wake. Real wake. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I'm glad that the, those kids. What makes me sad to to watch the talent of Tyler's, Mossy's, Gunther's, and for these kids not to be able to get to experience like what we experienced, it really bums me out because like that, as a personal thing, like solidifies to yourself. You know what I mean? Like to be involved in something like that is like, I feel like it's like, I just wish that they were that experience still existed for today's rider because it was something that it made it was it was bigger than wakeboarding you know yeah, what I mean yeah. and I don't feel like there's that many opportunities for these kids these days to feel bigger than wakeboarding definitely and that's what that's what the X Games did for wakeboarding it took it to a higher echelon of above our industry. It wasn't controlled by boat companies. It wasn't controlled by brands. It wasn't controlled. It was controlled by extreme sports. And in the 90s, people loved that shit. They ate it up. And the early 2000s. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, it was cool. And we got to, you know, go to, you know, in L.A., go to the Sunset Strip and go to fancy parties and go to places you know all vip paid for shit like that you just normally wouldn't be able to do and 
this is all off the water experiences that, you know, really changed my life and opened, opened my eyes to the world. And most of it really didn't have to do with wakeboarding. It just had to do with the experience and living it and living life and, you know, putting yourself in situations that you would never, ever be able to be in. I mean, Chad Sharp, this is, <laughs> this is an insane, Chad Sharp is at an X game party and, um, oh, what is her name? <sighs> Blonde chick, famous, married a super old guy, died. She had a reality show. Oh, I, who was the famous old guy? Or the old guy? No, the old guy, he was, he, he, wasn't di- famous. he died. He wasn't famous. You know who I'm talking about? Is she an actress or anything? Yeah, she was an actress. She had a reality show. Paris Hilton? Nope. Nope. Uh, I can't remember. Oh, man. It would really... I'm blowing the story right now because I no, can't no, remember who, is who it, it is. <laughs> uh, she OD'd. She had a... She had, a uh, she had, like, one of the first reality shows. She was a Playboy model. She didn't marry Hugh Hefner? No. Oh. That's the only person I could think of. No, she just married an old guy that was super rich, and then he died. Oh, and she got all her money? Yeah. Or his money? Oh, what is her name? Anyways. I'll put it right underneath. When I yeah, 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 yeah. We'll, we'll research. Well, anyways, yeah. <laughs> so we're at a next game party, and Chad's there with his girlfriend. The, the famous chick sees Chad and his girlfriend, likes Chad's girlfriend, and says, hey, you want to come and party with us? And Chad and his girlfriend get in her limo and cruise and just partied with her all night long and cruised around. and Just probably some mega multimillionaire just. Yeah, what is her? I love. You, you put it in the. I'll put it right underneath the right there. Well, anyway, yeah. like just, I mean, that's a ridiculous story. But life experiences like that is like the whole point of what my rambling is that wakeboarding let us have those experiences. And I wish that those opportunities were available for the kids these days. What What do you think it would take to have something like that come about again, where those opportunities would would start to get presented? <sighs> kind of a can of worms there, but I feel like you might have some some insight on that. You, you know what? What um. You know, damn the man. The man screws everything up. As soon as X Games started getting rally car racing, Suzuki's big, big, big industry sponsors, it ruined X Games. Because then they stopped, they, you know, there's BMX. I mean, there's even rollerblading. I mean, who, I mean, watching some kids twirl around on rollerblades on a, on a half pipe was kind of fun to watch in real life. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. But those types of things, wakeboarding, rollerblading, all that type of stuff, when these big industry sponsors started taking over the X Games for rally car racings and big motorsports and all these bigger industries that were buying the X Games, yeah, then the whole point of the X Games was actually lost. And that happens to everything. I mean, it's sad to say, it's awesome. everything is awesome in the beginning, then it needs money to develop, and then when the man realizes that there's a market there. There's a profit that can be made. Then it gets ruined. Yeah. <laughs> so you were right in that perfect slot. The perfect slot. And I feel so thankful that that me and, I mean, really the Pointless crew, we, we benefited more than anyone through 
this time period because we were just right time, right place, right scene, and doing the right thing. And we're just really lucky to be a part of that yeah. era. Yeah, that I mean, just even from a couple of stories there, I, I knew it was wild back then. But well, I mean, so you, you guys said you guys rode and partied hard here in Orlando. You know, what does that party scene look like? You know, in the late '90s, early 2000s, with uh, all the pointless crew. Just downtown Orlando. We basically owned it. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't as invested in the scene as some of the some of the guys. Like I was there, but I was just along for the ride. Just kind of there. Yeah. I was. I was in a lot of La La Land in those days. <laughs> I was. Yeah, I was I was finding myself everywhere. What do you mean by that? <laughs> you know, you take some ayahuasca back then. Uh, so similar things, <laughs> but but um, uh, it was just downtown. Yeah, like I mean, you could go into any bar, and every bouncer, every bartender, they all knew you guys. Yeah, we were we were everywhere, and there was enough of us that, and it wasn't just us. It wasn't just us. It was the Australian crew. It was everyone that worked at Wakeboard Magazine. It was... The industry was like... The industry wasn't just like, oh, well, uh, let's get on the Zoom call and uh, we'll ha- hatch things out and then uh, we'll circle back on that. <laughs> we were together. like hap- It was happening all yeah. at one time. You know what I mean? Like Everything was. Like... People from the industry, when they came into town, you can be sure as hell you're going to see them at the bar that night downtown. Yeah. And it was that's that downtown Orlando is where wakeboarding business went down. It was over beers. It was, it wasn't stuffy business meetings. It it was, was, it was sushi and beers. And that's, I mean, every billabong dinner, every like, you know, at that point in time, like a, a bunch of us all rode for Billabongs, the the Sean Dishmans, the uh, Chris Bischoffs, the Kevin Michaels, Kevco. I mean, all the photographers, Joey Medox, uh, Josh Letchworth, uh, Bear, everyone was just existing. It was just happening here. Yeah. Yes. It was all here. Yeah, I mean, you know, you you watch that Alliance thing last year that they did about like the the scene of Orlando or yeah. whatever. Like, that scratched the surface. But it was it was more than that. Yeah. Okay. Um. I, I do want to talk about incomplete. So you kind of mentioned the rails you guys were building and hitting back then. It was a lot of PVC. Mm-hmm. Um, none of the rails were skirted, which no. for for anyone who doesn't know what that is, it's like the supports of the rails are just sticking out. Hmm. So there's no wood on the side to prevent your legs from or arms or neck or head from going underneath. Um, were you guys really thinking about like the setups you were building or, or you're kind of saying you're just throwing shit together, making it work and then. Well, most of the stuff that we were building was stuff we stole. So. We didn't, we didn't keep tools. I mean, like our, like I think Danny Harf had a set of tools that he actually, Danny or Grub, Grub was, Grub was, probably the most, uh, you know, he kept his stuff together. Okay. 
Grubby, Grubby was always precision. He drove a Prelude. Okay, there you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> he drove a Prelude with a huge Volcom stone sticker on it. Sick. Loved it. Loved it. I miss that Prelude. It's cool. But, uh, where, well, yeah, I was thinking about the Prelude. Where was I at? This must have been a pretty cool Prelude. <laughs> uh, yeah, just the, <laughs> the rails you guys were building and hitting back then. I mean, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Any big slams? Anyone get broke off? Like, obviously, yes, but oh, any yeah. that come to mind? Oh yeah. Well, um, there was a just a lot of uh, there was a lot of clipping. Like, we would put picnic tables together, and like, just a lot of clip, imperfect seams, cl- clipping edges. And one time, Danny uh, hit this up. It was an up, like a PVC, a three pipe wide up to about like maybe a 15 and I don't know what our problem was with like gaps like we needed to one nowadays people that that's the thing today's kids don't even give a shit how big an alley is I mean everything has ups it's all cable parks I mean maybe in winching but like if if you were alleying onto something lower than waist high didn't count dude you're not doing it it's just not it's not a thing right so we had super big alleys for everything and every gap couldn't there's no possible way it could be under 12 feet like it had to be so danny hits this 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 three pipe up to probably about 15 maybe close to 20 foot gap to this i believe it was a flat down flat obviously no skirting no nothing like that he hits it dry of course Gets caught up, fully takes the front beam, just ra- just tacos around it, just wraps wraps like running into it, straight into oh. it, full speed. And th- those days, like, I, you know, I'm not I'm not gonna sit here and be the, the kids these days kind of guy. You know what I mean? But riding, uh, hitting rails on a cable, a system two, winching's different. Winching is its own ent- entity for sure, but all the, these rails we're hitting is behind a ski boat. Like we always used Parks's uh, mom's. She had like a Mastercraft, uh, like a 190 with a tower on it, and we we liked that better than a ski because you could put the rope high on yeah. the tower and you got a little. You know, you weren't just had getting the, yanked into the, water. the the low pole. Like all the stuff at the projects back in the day was always behind a ski with a low pole. Yeah. I mean. That alone, learning how to hit rails on a on a ski like that, I feel like that should come back because that's its own like lining up rails behind a boat or behind a ski is totally different than yeah. than hitting them, you know, on a on a system or on a cable. But anyways, he was Danny was skiing or riding behind a ski boat, so he was probably I'd say going the boat was probably going twenty one. And to hit a rail like that with a gap, you're taking a solid edge into it. Yeah, you're cutting out to it. Yeah, so he wrapped around that thing moving. And that was one of the first ones where where he got hurt and we had to go straight to the hospital. And we were like, "Uh, so I I guess there is some consequences to this. Yeah, more than (laughs) just a broken bone or whatever. I mean, what ended up happening? Do you remember? I think he ruptured something. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. Did that kind of slow any of you guys down, or was it like kind of a reality check? Or, I mean, from the video, it seems like you guys kept pushing those 
fucked I up think, rails for a while. I think that hit is actually in um uh Shane put out like just a collection of random shit after incomplete. It was called okay. mixtape. Hmm. I think that hit of Danny's is in mixtape. I could be wrong. Okay. If it's in there and it's if it's on the internet, I'll try and put that in here so we can. But yeah, it was gnarly. See, but but that, that that's one that I like specifically remember. But after that, to to go with what you're saying, did that check us? Um, all that really did for checking us was make sure we wet down the rails. I was about first. to say you're probably just saying <laughs> let's get these Johns wet first before we start sliding across twenty foot gaps. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, in incomplete, uh, you did have a line. I don't remember remember if you do, remember doing this or not, but it was heel front seven, toe front seven, heel back five. Mm-hmm. You remember that? Mm-hmm. Was that first try? How many tries did that take that line? Okay. Uh, I did a mute mobe off a double up in that section also. Yeah. That was all one set. So that that three trick line was one one go. Or or not one go, but it was all in this one. That that three trick line was in one go and that double up was in the same set. And I remember there was that was on Lake Willis at Danny Harf's parents' house. And there was there was some magic sessions that went down there that like even thinking back on it, like I'm pretty sure that was just a a first go. Yeah. It, there's there's like moments back in those days, and I'm sure I'm sure the, the kids these days. I've seen Mossy have Mossy and Tai Tai, and and those guys have sessions like that. But you know, there was those sessions where everyone was vibing so hard that you couldn't fall. The energy was just feeding off each other. You just couldn't fall because everyone was everyone was so hyped on each other that. It just made you go out there, and there's just this energy that carried you. You know what I mean? Like, falling, it wasn't like you're doing something thinking, oh, I got to make this. It was just. Just have fun. Just happening. Yeah. It was just happening. Do you think part of the reason why you guys were all so hyped on each other was it was less of a competitive, like, attitude to get paid to do it? You guys were all getting taken care of super well. See, I'm, I'm actually glad you touched on that. Because all of us through the pointless era, through that process of pointless blowing up, we all just like kind of had some board sponsors at that time and whatever. But by the end of the heart of the pointless era, we were all sponsored up. Yeah. We were making really good money, sponsored up. And that kind of destroyed pointless in the fact that not from us, you know, not wanting to hang out and do what we did, but all of a sudden we had obligations. Yeah. Before we were just doing us twenty four seven. I mean, we were always together. We did everything together. We traveled together. We rode together. We partied together. We were filming. We were documenting it all, and just living. Then all of a sudden, you know, like I said earlier, the man comes in. Yeah, it's a lot easier to pay your bills, but then all of a sudden, the, the the essence of what we were creating slightly disappears because then you're obligated to be obligated. 
Yeah, you're working for somebody else or for a lot of different people. And yeah. you, you know, every single one of you guys is all working for all these other different people. Yeah. You know, to kind of to make them money. Yeah. Um, so you kind of mentioned that was like the heart of Pointless kind of ended with all that. Um, I know you signed with Tyga in 2000, kind of talked about that a little bit. But 2001 is when you won X Games Bronze. So yeah. kind of walk, yeah. walk me through that, I guess, that whole competition <sighs> and winning bronze there. Well, um, like I was talking about that session over on Lake Willis, mm-hmm. we were heavily riding over at Danny's house at on Lake, uh, Lake Willis, and this is like Danny's still in high school, and like Shane Parks and I would ride up every day. Shane's a PT cruiser. Yeah, Shane drove a he drove a PT cruiser. I think that was in one of the. I think that might have been. Pointless, man. Yeah, yeah. Not in Pointless, uh, incomplete, but... It was in something. It was in something. I've seen it. But, um... We just went... So there was... We would go to contests, our whole crew, and we'd go down, and, and, and we were getting cocky because it was fun. And we would just be down on the dock just chattering to people, just saying, oh, the, the, you know, talking shop, but we would always just tell everybody... Just, just wait. We're we're getting ready to put on a demo, like in the contest. Like it wasn't a contest. We're just gonna go out there and put on a demo for everyone. Yeah. Just to see how it's done. You know what I mean? Like. And, that's the way we went to that X Games. I remember like the whole pointless crew just went, and it, there wasn't, Danny. Danny won that one. I got bronze. Darren Shapiro got third or got second. But um, if you look down the rest of those rankings, it's all the pointless guys, and. uh yeah, it's 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 crazy like how mental competition is like because in those days we didn't care. We cared about how we how we did our stuff, but we didn't care about everything. So it made it so that when we were out there we were riding like we were riding at home all the time, you know what I mean? So like I, I remember that X Games just crazy energy. Like Danny killed it, and I went out and I actually did a uh, a trick off the double up that I guess was a very it was a variation of a mob, but I, I came up and kind of went like overhead mob, like instead of over, like like Olay kind of like kind of like come up like uh, grab mute and then Olay to the handle pass yeah. instead of like fully like you know underneath and then e- exactly so like. Yeah, I do remember that, like, sticking that double up, and people made a big deal about it and said it was an NBD before, but I don't think it's really an NBD. I think it was just more, like, a variation. Yeah. Like, back in those days, I feel like every little thing someone needed a name. Like, Shane loved naming some some tricks. <laughs> dumb, dumb, tootsie roll. Well, I named the first one after Candy, so I figured I named the second one after Candy. He said that. That was an interview. He did? Oh, that's that's... That's that's I gotta find that. That's ver- <laughs> verbatim from an ESP inter- interview from I think. Is that what he sounded like too? Oh yeah. I named the first. <laughs> Serious. Oh man, yeah, good stuff. Oh man, what was the <laughs> what's that that prize purse for bronze? Probably pretty good. First was twenty. Twenty k for gold. Holy shit! First was twenty. I believe second was like. 
eight to twelve, and I think I ended up with somewhere around five or six. Okay, somewhere in there. That's good. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. you still got the medal somewhere? I do. I do. All right. Maybe we'll grab that in a little bit. Yeah. I'll, I'll show Check it to that you. Out. I'll show it to you. Sick. Okay. So then, following the two thousand one season up, two thousand two was probably would you say it's your best season, like competitive wise? Obviously, oh, yeah. pro tour. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, what was it like going into that season? I mean, you got you kind of are alluding to the fact that you're not super competitive. You're kind of going to the contest, having fun, riding with the boys. Yeah. Um, but you go into that, you go into the final stop, and you already had won, right? Or maybe you had to take one round, and it was Two, that. That's two thousand two. Two thousand two. Two thousand two. I won the overall, overall tour, and then I won worlds, and um. Yeah, I went into the last contest basically I think it was if Darren Shapiro didn't do good in like even his semi run like where he was placed like I already won the tour yeah so like going into fi- I, I was in finals going into finals I knew I already won the overall tour it was just winning that contest and I went out and won that contest but um yeah yeah you know that that's just such a like like I'm, it's it's hard to explain like the mindset like that we were all in like it's almost like for me to do something good I almost have to not care. It looks like you didn't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean I watched the broadcast back and it really looks like you couldn't care less. <laughs> I, I mean it's just like one of those things like anything I do like if I like overly like my mind gets in. Like I got too much shit going on in my mind. If I if I put if I turn my mind on to do something, yeah, you'll think yourself in circles. Yeah. I have to I have to do everything with my mind turned off. <laughs> so that was kind of your mentality going into it. It was, I mean, before that that last stop, where you're like, okay, I want to win this. Like I want to get first. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. And that, I mean, well, because I, I I ended up being in that position, and I I remember actually being there, going, how did I get in this position, like. Because I'm not a competitive person. And so competing has always been weird to me because I want to do my best for the sake of knowing that I can do what I can do. You know what I mean? But I never was like the person that was just like, I need to verify this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like competing just became... Like the, the the whole pro tour thing, I I almost feel like if pointless wouldn't have happened and I, I wouldn't have been with that crew of people, I don't know if I would have done as good because we did good because we were having so much fun all the time. Like if I was going to contests, going, oh Darren Shapiro just did a speedball, uh, uh, how am I gonna counteract that? And like that was my only mentality. I don't think that I don't think I could have done good in that scenario because yeah. we literally all of us had such. a pinnacle years through that era it's because we weren't thinking about the wakeboarding we were thinking about everything else (laughs) yeah it wasn't like your attitude wasn't like i have to beat parks you know i gotta beat shane i gotta beat everyone here it's just like we're all having fun it looked like parks was more stoked than you were that you won the pro tour that year (laughs) and, and, and our whole crew had each other's back so hard like if we were in a heat against each other obviously we wanted to stand up and do the best but we were always rooting for whoever took it. There was yeah. never, I can't remember one second ever being like, oh, Chad Sharp just beat me. Oh, fuck him. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like never. That was yeah. never even a thought You're in our just, minds. We were like so stoked for each other. You know what I mean? Like 
at all time because if one of us did good, we all did good because we were doing this collectively to prove a point, yeah. not singularly to prove a point. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah, I mean that totally makes sense and I you I, I recommend people watching, you know, rewatching some of those old pro tour clips because I think it kind of shows um and how everyone kind of approaches riding and and their attitudes after winning and like seeing people win, it was cool. And there was crowds there. Yeah, fat crowds. Like that's like that's a I mean not not to uh commandeer this uh this section right here, but I'm gonna go down another rabbit hole real it's, quick. It's it's your pod, dude. Just um I don't understand why there can't I mean cable contests in Europe do it. Why can't we have contests that have pack crowds anymore? Wake contests. Like that that's another and and I, I, I don't wanna keep saying, Oh, I feel you know, the same thing about the X games and the riders these days. But to ride in a contest where the crowd is screaming and bringing this whole nother dynamic of energy. And like, that's a big part of what I was talking about. Just doing it and like being there and not thinking you're being carried by this energy that like, like if you can tap into that energy, it's a whole different dynamic of existence. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, I think what what else was going on at, at those like pro tour stops and those X games, obviously X games had, all the X games to it, but like those pro tour stops was there. Like, obviously there was a lot of drinking, like people were partying. Like one, one thing that I can really attribute was the downfall of the pro tour was when they got rid of the beer tent. I am in full agreement <laughs> there. I mean, that's a kind of a no brainer. I think, I opinion. mean, people would come and make a day of it, party, bring their families, bring, you know, people would be, I remember like showing up to pro tours and people are rolling in with their blankets, coolers, the whole family, dogs, you know what I mean? And they'd post up and have fun. And like, dude, I remember like getting done, like you do your run, you had two stand up passes, you're getting ready for your double up. And like the boat would do like a whole pass and you'd come by the crowd. And I just would always like shoot down by the partiers and just be like, giving one of these going (laughs) by, you know what I mean? And the crowd just be like, "Ah!" and like, Dude, like you could be going into your double up, like th- not ever thinking, oh, I hope I land this. No, you're like, I'm going to fuck this thing up. So you weren't, t- <laughs> I feel like right now or the newer pro tour uh, basically is taking it very seriously. Like yeah. we're very serious into wakeboarding and like the scores and like the the wake and the boat and the conditions. It's like all oh, very serious, but there's nobody on the shore watching. Yeah, I don't get it. I don't get it. Bring back the beer tent. That's step one, I think. Step one. Step one is the beer tent. So should, how, let's start a petition. I'll <laughs> yeah. Let's start a petition. Bring back the beer tent. <laughs> I'll be serving beers. I'll do it. <laughs> oh man! All right. So, what were some big sponsors at that time? That 2002 year after winning. Okay. So, going into that season, uh, Full Tilt disbanded. I had a, a stint of riding for Blindside. And then that didn't, they kind of got shaky. And right at that time, I was living with Parks. Uh, Parks just signed with Hyperlight. Um, at one of the, my first X Games, I met Paul O'Brien. He was hanging with Chad. Chad just signed with Hyperlight. And I was just in the crowd actually watching. 
I believe motocross when uh, Pastrana launched into uh, the San Francisco Bay. Uh, I met Paul O'Brien. We were hanging out, and um, he sent me a pair of 3060s to ride because uh, Full Tilt had Sabrosa boots. They weren't. No bueno. And, uh, yeah, so he sent me a pair of boots, and we just kind of became friends. We were like... We we had a lot of random uh, similar interests, different kinds of music, di- just just what we were into. We we just kind of hit it off and clicked and and kind of became friends before anything else. You know what I mean? Even before I rode for for I'm like we became friends just through industry stuff. So then at that time period, uh, obviously was having a really good season and whatever, and uh, basically. Uh, yeah, had a had a talk with Paul, like saying, "Hey, you know, kind of in looking for a new board sponsor," and the rest is history. And uh, you know, still working with him today. Yeah. So uh, you signed probably pretty good contract then with with Hyperlay when you do get on longer term, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Um. Well, you know, the one thing with Paul, and I don't know, I can't speak for everyone that he's written or that has written, but his and my deals have always been very handshake. I mean, obviously everything always delivers and the dude is a man of his word and has taken care of me graciously for a very long time. And, um, but it it was never like tooth and nail, like dot the I's cross the T's style vibe for me and him. Which is probably something that you were more interested in, that kind of yeah, that kind of vibe. Okay. Um, who, who else are you on at that time? You said you're on Billabong. That's got to be a yep. pretty pretty big check. Billabong was good. So Tyga, Billabong, Hyperlite. And see, the funny thing back in those days is, like nowadays you couldn't, I don't think you could pull this off. So I rode for Jet Pilot for vests and wetsuits, but I rode for Billabong for clothes. But Billabong makes vests and wet wetsuits yeah but i only rode for their clothes division and jet pilot makes clothes but i only rode for their and it's just how things worked out it was kind of random and then this is actually kind of funny too uh sean dishman was you know a a dude that has been behind you know wakeboard events since the beginning of time and when he started working for the pro tour when the pro tour is hot and like every year there'd be like a handful of really random new companies that would like just jump on the wakeboarding train and like sponsor the tour, like binding lubes and like just weird shit. Yeah. Right. So like, I remember like, like Sean Dishman coming up to me, he goes, Hey, I got a company that wants to pay you 500 bucks a month. All you got to do is put a sticker on your board and you'll never have to do anything again. So I'm like, okay. And he would do that every year to all the pointless boys. Just find like new random $500 a month like paychecks for you'd never have to do anything. Put a sticker on your board. They sponsored the tour. And I'm sure I'm sure that, you know, he was probably, you know, greasing his wallet. A little bit. Yeah. On the same side too, which he should because he I mean, he was hooking it up. He was hooking up, but he would do that every year. And it was so funny. I I don't know if that exists anymore either. Like all these and and that's something that talking on the pro tour that all happened because of the pro tour because the pro tour was an event because it was a scene because people were there 
people wanted to go. Exactly. And that's why those companies, you know, jumped on board and wanted to pay you 500 bucks for a year. Well, we can get in front <laughs> of all these, we can get in front of all these faces of these people that might want to buy our shit. So. Exactly. So yeah, man, like, I don't know, like there needs to be, a, a, there needs to be a, a new way of looking at how to make the pro tour really fun again, because, yeah. and, and I'm not even saying this, like, I'm not talking shit on the pro tour. I feel like it's just circumstantial. I feel like, for for the riders own good like i just wish they could experience that you know what i mean yeah. the energy the vibe whatever because all these kids have taken wakeboarding to such another level and like the stuff that they're doing today is stuff we dreamed of doing off of double ups that we could never do you know what i mean like and they're doing the shit off the wake i mean i went out the other day i mean every time i go out and film with Masi, ty nick rap I went out with Nick Rappa. He did, I was shooting from the tube and he was just doing double tantrum to blinds over me. Like, like, like it was no thing. Like literally like easier than a tantrum to blind, easier than a tantrum. Like it was crazy. And I'm just sitting in this tube watching this go down going, dear God, like these kids have really stepped it up, progressed the actual riding so much that like that's the shit I think about is just like man I like I wish that they could experience the feelings that I got to experience because of the energy that wakeboarding brought to people you know what I mean yeah and I don't know it's tough because I feel like not a whole lot of people can even relate to wakeboarding anymore now like like you just said double tantrum to blind off the wake how many people have enough how many people have a boat that you're capable of doing that off of? Right. Not a ton. And how many people even want to do that anymore? Like, it seems like, you know, it's it hurts too much or whatever. Like, it's kind of gotten separated, I feel like. Back back then, you were riding behind yeah. a boat that pretty much anyone could get yeah. or anyone had, oh, you know? Yeah. Oh, dude, my family. When, when, I, when I was um, 18, my family bought a Mastercraft 205 for 18 grand. And that was a lot of money. In those days. Yeah. And, but like, that was accessible for a middle class family. My dad was a high school teacher. My mom was a uh, oral surgeon assistant. And that was realistic, right? But for, you know, a kid these days, I mean, to be competitive and have what it takes, the, the gear that it takes to be competitive, man, it's tough. I think it's, yeah. I think that's the biggest you know, one of the biggest issues for sure is, is and the same thing I, I kind of compared to snowboard super pipe where there's like what, two or three super pipes in North America. How is a kid going to get good at super pipe? It's probably not, you know, yeah. he can get good at rail riding and stuff. Cause that's super accessible everywhere in the United States. But, but back then, like you were saying boats, you know, they're expensive. They're always going to be expensive. It's a boat, but it's accessible. You know, you don't have to be on that whole next level of, you know, money. Oops. Good. <laughs> um, uh, I do want to talk about getting the pro model with Hyperlite. So how long, how, how early did those talks start of getting the, was the ERA, the era? Mm-hmm. So when did that, you know, conversation start happening? Um, 2003, maybe. Okay. So, I think so pretty shortly after you yeah. signed. Yep. Um, yeah, I believe it was around 2003. 
somewhere in there. And yeah, yeah, the era. And like the 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 first name of the Here, we can move this a little bit closer. Oh, no, you're good. You're, it's all good. It's all good. All right. So the the first name that Paul and I came up with, and this is obviously, you know, just where my head was at in those days. Um in my psychedelic era. Um <laughs> The first name, and this would, I, I'm glad we didn't go with this because this wouldn't have, you know, transponded to a good line of wakeboards for, you know, a long time, but we were going to call it J27. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> because Jimmy, Janice, and Jim Morrison. Janice Joplin. All Jimi Hendrix. Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, all died when they were 27. Ooh. So we were going to call it the J27. And how old are you at this time? Uh, 22. So you basically are putting a five-year ticking time bomb on yourself by giving yourself that port. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. That wouldn't have. Not, you know. Put an expiration date on your career. <laughs> I've, I've always been like, I don't think I've ever, like, I think the Phoenix Project was was probably my best pro model and graphic because it was just kind of all, all my stuff was just always way too way too me for anyone to understand because yeah. it was just in my head and that's one thing the one thing in my career is I don't think I uh, I could have done I could have done maybe better with making everything not be so me for pro model stuff I'm saying graphically and stuff like that because this is maybe, you know, maybe everybody isn't going through a psychedelic phase. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. But I feel like that's also kind of what makes the pro model cool is like, it is you. It's a rep representation of yourself, but I do kind of see what you're saying there, but maybe, <laughs> maybe not so much of me. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But anyway, so that, that board with Hyperlight, um, you said you started talking about in 2003 and then when did it I think come out? 2004, I think was, Four. yeah. And when did it come out? In, 2000. in 2004. Okay, so pretty shortly after you started talking about it. Yeah, and then I think the era lasted. The, the, the best era was the second year of the era, the one with a – it was a, a green one, and we came out with these these rails that were called fret rails. It, like, had, like, these, like, gouges, and when, when the board was on edge, it let the water kind of roll. I don't, we don't need to talk about that. But anyways, there was one of the graphics had this uh, Bob Marley, like – a pseudo Bob Marley, like, and uh, uh, this guy Sun Sun Dong, uh, one of the uh, art guys that was with Hyperlight for a long time. He he's an amazing artist, and he he drew it, and that that one probably goes down in my mind as probably my one of my favorite like art style yeah. graphics in that era of the era. But uh, yeah, that's all I got on that. So, I I do want to talk about switching from Hyperlight to Ronix. I, I don't even know if you call it switching from or like going to. Um, you did mention earlier you had a contract with Hyperlight, and then Ronix obviously or Square One starts, mm -hmm. um, and some of the boys leave. Parks is leaving. Yeah, Parks, um, Chad, Danny, and Emily all left at at the same time. What was that like? You know, being around that. <sighs> it was weird. It was a weird. It was a weird. I feel like that was the beginning 
of a weird time in wakeboarding from 2006-ish to 2010-ish. I don't know. Somewhere in there. Um, For me, it was, it was, you know, I was with Hyperlite finishing out a contract and, you know, obviously they made it worth my while to, to stay with Hyperlite and, and it was cool. But at the same time, you know, my best friends were all riding for Ronix and there was all this hype and it just, it just felt like, like in my heart, like that's where I wanted to be. It was where you belonged. Yeah. Where I belonged. And you know, like, and this is, that was a new era of, of wakeboarding. That was the Phil Sovin, Rusty, the, the, the pro tour was changing. The vibe of wakeboarding was changing. It, it was, it was the entrance of the energy drink sponsor era. And that changed the, um, the whole vibe of wakeboarding in a way, because it brought in like this outside money that was weird. How so? It was like, it made people think that they made it before they made it. Like. In the sense that you signed that contract pretty soon with an energy drink company and you kind of like, it's good money. Yeah. And like, I don't know. It like, it changed like the integrity of, I feel like everything almost like the, the contest scene, like it, it made so it made it it stopped the party the energy drinks stopped the party they're putting a lot of money into it but the pro tour before that was beer sponsors and all this now it's i gotta train because i have an energy drink sponsor i take myself super serious and contests have to be like this and if you're not training and doing this regiment or living this lifestyle you're a loser and my style of life living and my credo of looking at wakeboarding fully that outlook was didn't line up with it was slightly unacceptable at okay at that point you know what i mean a lot of people got hit by that chris o'shea i mean chris o'shea is probably by far the most underrated wake rider and cable rider probably of all time. You think so? Dude. One of the sickest I mean, I could I we I could do a whole podcast just talking about Chris O'Shea. I'd love to have Chris on. <laughs> I feel like Chris would be so sick. Oh, dude. He he would he would be great on the show. All right. Have you have you ever met him or talked to him? No. You'd really like him. Sick. All right, Chris, if you're watching, hope yeah. you are. Oh, she's you're, you're on the list. Yeah. He was my boy. Um, but never got any... I mean, he won Rider of the Year, I think, from Alliance one year. And I feel like that he won Rider of the Year and then got fired by Hyperlite. Because the new era of wakeboarding didn't support our vision. And Chriso was one of the last that, I mean... I mean he lived what he did. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I feel like this new, the, when that changed, like people, 
instead of being what you are, you had to make sure you were what you were. If that makes any kind of sense, like instead of like living what you're portraying, you're portraying and then trying to live it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You have to make it look like. Exactly. Yeah. And I feel like that is when that era switched and wakeboarding, you couldn't just the the era of just being and fully being what you are. Energy drink companies stop that. Did any of them approach you ever? Energy drink um, companies. You know, I talked to I uh 2005 X Games was a rail jam. And I forgot my helmet and I showed up and I wore Danny Harf's helmet and had a monster sticker on it. So after that monster was like, Oh yeah. And I won it. And, oh. um, so monster hit me up a little bit and they're like, ah, blah, blah, blah. I'm just like, I probably have made some bad decisions of not making money where I could have made money just because I didn't care. Not because I had enough money. I could always use more money, but I didn't drink energy drinks. I didn't like energy drinks. I didn't like what energy drinks were doing to wakeboarding. Okay. I mean, that's like a, <laughs> that's like a tale is, is not unique to wakeboarding either. You see that in all the other industries where energy drinks come in as well. So it was more so, obviously the money would have been great, but you just didn't believe in what they were doing. No, just wasn't really my thing. And I really disliked what was happening to wakeboarding at that time period. In that 2006 to what, 2010 kind of so, zone. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's when you do, I guess you said you hyperlight made it worth your while to stay with them for whatever period of time. When did you shift over? Was that 2010, 2011? 2010. Yep. Okay. And did you immediately get your board? Um, well the, the Phoenix project, the, the cool thing about that is that the Phoenix project, Pat Panakis from, uh, from the projects and you know all all the me- <laughs> all the many accolades that uh, he has done for the sport. He's he was this is that era is like right like slingshot was just kind of becoming a thing. Shredtown was kind of becoming just like getting out there, and like flexi boards was not even really like across the you know it wasn't really a big thing yet. Yeah, you know what I mean like. People, everyone on cable was still just riding wake, wakeboards. You know what I mean, and um, so Pat was talking with Paul, and they were already kind of working on this project. And I feel like the Phoenix was kind of like a hybrid boats kind of flexi board, but it was. I feel like it was a little bit ahead of its time for for that time period. Um, but so as soon as. I signed with Ronix, and like I said, <laughs> I don't think I ever actually signed a contract. I mean, I with Ronix, really? No, no. Talk, you know, have have a good talk with Paul, and how does that work? How do you get paid then if you don't have a con- like you don't sign a contract? Well, you uh, you get on the payroll, like as an employee or whatever. No, not as an em- employee. Still, team rider. Still, you know, I mean, all all riders are for every company is all ten ninety nine. You yeah. know, what I mean, a, a contra- uh, individual contractor, yeah. but. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, like I said, I've always just had a handshake deal with Paul because, I mean, I feel like we've just always been on a different personal level at, at, when it comes to that type of stuff, which 
which is cool. And I am thankful for that for sure. But, um, yeah, so we started working like when I, when I started uh, with Ronix, Paul's like, Oh, well we're working on this board that I think would be like right up your alley. Because at that point, like I was like riding a lot of rails and I was on, on Hyperlite even before the Hyperlite switch. I don't know if you remember the uh, Hyperlite Rome. Mm, is that a rail board? It's a wooden rail board. Is it the weird looking super, one? Well, there's a couple different ones. There was one that just looked like a big pill. Yeah, that's the one I'm thinking of. And then there was one that looked like more of like it had like uh like a cut, like kind of like a figure eight okay. kind of. But um but those were just wood flexi boards that were, you know, made just kind of for fun. Before like you know, cable and park riding really became what it is today. So I was I was always like at the at the last carnival, do you know what the carnival is? Oh yeah, park the park's kind of real contest of the projects. Yep, yep. At the last carnival, I was the only person at that contest that I rode a Rome, a flexi board. Everyone else rode boat boards. I was the only person that rode a soft board. Did you turn some heads or were people kind of like, what are you doing? I don't think people got what I was doing. I don't think people boat riders that were riding rails were still boat riders. Yeah. Like now you're like a park rider or a cable rider. There's a couple people that can, you know, go bo- go both ways. But um, I feel like all boat riders were rail riders back in those days, but it was a different style. Yeah. It was hitting rails behind a boat or a jet ski on your wakeboard. You know what I mean? So, yeah, but so that being that, going to the the Phoenix project, it was pretty much just right up my alley of a board that was – fun soft and kind of more like a free ridey all around fun board exactly yeah exactly but still pretty capable you know on both sides of the the park and the boat there because i mean i I don't know i watched the phoenix project video and it's definitely got to be one of the first boards that truly flexes Mm -hmm. like you were doing a nose press tail press like and it's truly flexing as opposed to leaning up you know on the nose or leaning back on the tail and there's no flex involved you're just pivoting kind of um on the board there so I guess, was it a little bit scary leaving Hyperlite for Ronix? Did you get any flack from, like, your current teammates? Like, I'm sure Murray was on the team then, was Rusty on then. Yeah, um, you know, I, I'd say uh, I didn't get any flack. I, I would say that, um, yeah, I'm, I used to, I used to like, you know, I always got along really good with Murray. We did funny stuff. We did, this was also before its time. I don't know if you ever saw this on YouTube, The Murr Show. One of the first streaming at like things that you could do, we did this this show called the Mer Show, and it was like a, a late night talk show show, and it there's one on YouTube. I'll send you the link. Yeah. So Dano was the announcer. I was like the music guy, and Murray was like the late night guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? And we would have guests, and we'd make prank phone calls, and like, but like prank industry people. Yeah. And it was, like, way ahead of its time, like, because it was, like, you had to, like, log out. You had to go to, like, some website, log into it, and what like, to even see it. It was, like, a whole process to do it, and it was a whole process to see it. Yeah. So, like, not a lot of people saw it. Like, nowadays, like, I feel like it would go over maybe a little better than it did at the time. But the point of where I'm going is, yeah, I missed Murray, but... He's still around here somewhere, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Well, he's he's, he's big all, time, though. We're all good. Yeah. Big time, but so you didn't get really any 
any negative response or anything from no i think i think to tell you the truth everyone knew that that's where i should be so everybody's on the same page yeah okay that's cool that's sick i, I didn't i wasn't you know sure um but what appealed to you besides the you know obviously going back to like the family aspect of of square one what else appealed to you about ronix other than that aspect uh, I just feel like um, ob- yeah, obviously the family aspect. I I don't know. Just where I belong. Just where where I mean, I know how to work with everyone. And I also, you know, I've I've kind of felt like I had a. I could see a more of a long term relationship of being able to evolve with them, yeah, rather than just be a rider. Yeah, get more on the behind the scenes side and really help them. Yeah, you know, with that aspect of it. And like by that by that time, like, I think 2011 was when we filmed Defy, and I think that's when uh, I won Trick of the Year that year for doing that mute mob into yeah, that the pool at the Raider. pool. And I feel like that was kind of my my swan song. Okay, as in like. I'm going to start shifting now from athlete to, you know, behind the scenes. Yeah. Is that a hard thing to, to do? Like a hard pill to swallow per se? No. Or were to, you ready? To tell you the truth, like I watched so many guys on the pro tour burn themselves out and not know when enough was enough. So many guys could have lasted so much longer in the industry if they would have made a, a, a trans while they had a name and had momentum. I feel like if you burn yourself out trying to be something, but, you know, nowadays there are athletes. I mean, you know, obviously different different level, but Kelly Slater. I mean, there's people that are break the mold, you know what I mean, that, like, are different. But, like, for me, like, I just all of a sudden felt like it was time to – I was ready to make a change. I was married. I, I I wanted to be a part of be a part of it deeper kind of. I felt like, you know, being a rider, you can affect things by what you do, how you handle yourself, how you ride. But I felt like I'd have a greater impact behind the scenes. Make some decisions and like and, and to tell you the truth, being behind the lens and, and helping out all of our riders and and being there for these kids like i feel like i don't know it it, it, i i don't i don't have anything in me that makes me like i was never kind of a prove yourself kind of person anyways but like i don't have anything that like when i was doing that like that i felt like i didn't do so like i was like ready to help another generation and help a company with kind of the vision that I had. You know what I mean? Yeah. You could, I mean, it's more using your brain and like the ideas you have to, to try and guide and shift where the company's going as opposed to just writing for them, collecting a check and kind of giving them feedback on boards or whatever, stuff like that. Um, Was Lake Ronix a thing right when it started? Uh, Lake Ronix, uh, basically, let's see, what year was that? 2012. So, like, I was still kind of not really seriously riding anymore, but I just, 2012 is when I started doing all the Ronix social media and, like, kind of got 
reignited on filming because like we all obviously like in the pointless days we all filmed everything ourselves uh for the hyperlight movie um uh, what was it called counterfeit this yeah uh we've we all filmed that too and then like i just kind of you know i always really enjoyed filming and doing that and just kind of fell off of it and then when uh you know, we're having our talks, Paul and I, and just like, you know, we're, what do you see happening? You know what I mean? And uh, he's like, well, you know, social media is becoming a thing. We don't have a social media person. What do you think? I was like, well, let's, sure. see, let's see what happens. Why not? <laughs> exactly. So you've been doing that since 2012. Yeah. Okay. So like, I guess I kind of want to get into what your, what your role is now with yeah. Square One. So yeah. like, what would you say? your job title or, or what your day-to-day is uh my job title is the swiss rv knife <laughs> <laughs> do it all no i uh mainly content creation social media um i help out a bunch with the team i wouldn't say i'm, I'm like the exact team manager you know what i mean but like i definitely organize all the stuff for you know daily shoots for content product shoots and you know i try i try to I try to be there for all of our for our crew in any way possible and help out because I, I definitely feel like I was super blessed with really really great um, influence in my life from from other wakeboarders Kobe's Chris Bischoff's um, so many so many really good influences on me but um uh. Yeah, try to do that. And then, yeah, obviously Lake Ronix, uh, we do Square One U, which uh, you've a- attended, which is, is fun, where we have our dealers come down and teach them about the product and then bring them out on the water so they can all experience it firsthand. And um, just the whole Lake Ronix progression, you know, that, that was a lot. There's basically, you know, three or four of us that are managing 235 acres. So that keeps us busy and, the you know, the constant... The constant constantness of social media is kind of a beast. <laughs> yeah, that's a, to put it lightly for sure. Yeah. Um, so you do social media, you help out with all like the product and video shoots, mm-hmm. I'm guessing, um, and then help out with everything at Lake Ronix. <laughs> Why is there not power run to the two towers? Why do you have to have a generator? Because running power from the road that distance is insanely expensive. Is it? Okay. Cheap, cheaper than a, or it, uh, a, a big way generator cheaper. is way, way cheaper. cheaper. Okay. I was just wondering when we were there. But um, shoot. Okay. So you, you made that transition into the behind the scenes role with Ronix, um, or I guess Square One. You help out with the radar side of things too. Yeah. I, sh- I, do, I do all the product shoot stuff for radar too. Okay. Uh, we were talking about shooting skis, you know, water skiing versus shooting wakeboarding. Can you kind of compare and contrast the two real quick just to, to break it down? Uh, yeah. 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 I mean, you know, shooting, shooting wakeboarding, depending what style, you're basically, you know, following the rider, making, you know, making sure you're framed up following the rider. But what I was saying earlier about skiing is the cool thing about shooting skiing is you know where they're going to be every time. They're not changing that up. So you can set up a cool shot. You can vary it. And, you know, I mean, you can dial something in and I don't know. It's, 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 it's a little bit more, um, orchestrated i don't know it's it's just i guess more or less 
predictable. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> which is probably good for the person behind the scenes. You can kind of, or behind the lens, you yeah. can you can really you know get funky and creative. With yeah, that yeah, aspect. no, it, it, it's it's fun to shoot. And honestly, like one of the things that I like shooting, why I like shooting skiing, is literally shooting slow mo stuff and like like dialing in on a buoy, but the water movement. Yeah. Like, I mean, throwing big walls. You know, just whacking walls and just, uh, dude, there's some amazing just illumination that you like, you just never, it's, that's, that's the thing that keeps it exciting is, is the, the water movement. You know where they're going to be every single time, but the, the water is always different. Yeah. And like, I always used to say, I mean, this is going back a long time. Parks and I used to always say this when people would get too serious about wakeboarding, we'd always say, yeah, sometimes you just got to reach down and touch the water and just realize that's, it's water. It's like if you're on the internet too much, you just got to go touch some grass. Just, just go touch some grass. Exactly. You know, water. it just kind of, kind of brings you back, centers you a little bit. And you're yeah. Like, yeah. Sometimes you just got to touch the it's water. It's a cool place to be around yeah. the water. Exactly. It's awesome. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, I do want to talk about Clear Lake. So how long have you been here? Um, this November 5th will be 20 years. Shit. Okay. And the same same place? Yep. or Wow. Um, why Clear Lake? Why did you buy a house here? Um, well, so I was living... This is 2001. I was living uh, with parks over on Lake Hiawassee, which is just a couple miles to the west. Um, and had a insane season of 2002 and uh my parents said uh you got to do something with this money <laughs> were you just stacking it up you just had like a huge bank account of money yeah okay i mean that 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 like we were going back that era of wakeboarding was just truly blessed to be a part of that because there was really good salaries and really good contest payouts. And I was lucky enough to win a lot of those contests yeah. at that time period. So, so yeah, my parents were like, you need to make some sort of investment. So I started looking at houses. And so this Lake, when I moved here, Thomas Harrell lived here and, um, Nick Weineker, Nick and Sonia bought a house a couple months before me down the road. And they're like, Oh, come check out this neighborhood. And, Back, in, I mean, this is kind of like 20 years ago. This neighborhood's come a long way because everybody refers to this neighborhood as the hood because it's surrounded kind of by the hood. The jail's like not too far. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. 33rd, 33rd yeah. down the street. But um, it was, I mean, a lake with canals, basically downtown Orlando. And it was like a whole community on the water and just just seeing like the potential of what could happen here was kind of cool. And I mean, central Florida, there's no, there's no place in the rest of the country where you can buy waterfront for as cheap as you can buy. Here. Yeah. I was looking at houses just last night on Zillow or whatever. And it's still like, I, it's it, right now it's still not ridiculous. Yeah. It's, expensive. I mean, and it's gone up a lot yeah. compared to those days. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it was just, uh, just worked out and this place came up and, uh, me and a buddy um, came and checked it out, and I was like, I didn't even, I didn't even go look at another house. I just saw this house, and I was like, there's some, there's some really random things, like that, like reminded me of weird things, like 
I remember at my grandma's house in Chicago and like just like weird things that like all of a sudden hit me and I was just like, you know what? I think we're going to do this. Still here 20 still years. On. Still here 20 years later. It's a sick it's a sick place you got here. Oh, thank What's you. it like living on like obviously Clear Lake has a ton of history. Is it pretty cool to live? You know, you've been here for a long time to live on such a lake with such a storied history when it comes to wakeboarding. Yeah, it I mean, it's really been a pretty serious community when when you look at the the uh, amount of people that have lived and still live here that you know for wakeboarding i mean there's been double or nothings out here there's been feet on fires i mean uh dano lived with me for eight years at this house yep when i when i first moved here yep and uh so yeah we did a lot of barefooting and you know just funny stuff but um you know this neighborhood has been awesome because it's a community of people on the water but also you know there's been times also where i've been like this might be a little too much. What do you mean? I just, you know, the scene is always here. Too close to downtown, like a lot of partying going on. That, that's or... that's what I'm saying. Like, okay, it's so, so easy to like get lost in that. Oh uh, yeah, and a lot of people, you know, a lot of young riders like moved here and like rented houses and like got way too deep, way too deep, way too fast. Yeah, you said earlier, not earlier today, but earlier in an interview that you know. Living on Clear Lake can do two things for your career. It can catapult it or it can trap you in the downtown scene. So yeah. you've seen quite a few people kind of get trapped into the partying side of things. Yeah, it'll happen. Yeah. It's, I mean, you know, I, I mean, it's, you come down here and you're like, holy shit, I'm in the wakeboard mecca. And you can go downtown, especially at that time period, you could go downtown any night and run into a Parks, a Chad, a Brian Grubb, a me. And... It just seemed like too easy and too innocent until all of a sudden you realize like I haven't been wakeboarding. I'm like that's all you're doing. Yeah. Oh yeah, trust me, I've I've had to check myself. Every 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 one of us has had to check ourselves. Just partying too much? Just too easy to get lost in it. Yeah. When did you have to check yourself last? <laughs> Probably not too recently, I would imagine. Ah, you know, you know, every now and then I'll maybe overserve myself, but I mean, like, not downtown anymore. Yeah, just in the backyard, <laughs> <laughs> stumbling back inside. <laughs> it happens. Um, I guess I was interested to hear about you know people getting kind of swallowed up by partying because I feel like Orlando is definitely a. It's, e- it's Florida in general, I guess, is a Florida in general. It's easy to happen, man. It's e- I've I've seen I've seen it happen and. The kids that really have had longevity in this sport are the ones that know how to have a good time, but know when enough is enough. Yeah, it's that perfect yeah. balance. Because you, you, ha- you have to be able to do both. You, if, if you are one of those people that just can't make it in the downtown scene or, or, or like the fun side, then you kind of get written off. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know if I, if I was talking to Dylan Miller or Gunther about – you have to know how to party in the sense that you have to know how to like socialize and like have a good time, let loose. But that doesn't mean by any means you have to, you know, get hammered seven nights out of the week. Exactly. But yeah, you have to be able to just hang. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's a, and you know, people coming like, like me when I was a kid, like people moving down here from the Midwest or whatever. And then all of a sudden it's just like, you know, it's just like everything at your fingertips. Yeah. So you just have to, 
Just be aware of yourself. Check yourself. Yeah. Quite often. <laughs> um, I do want to talk about Herb O'Brien. So is it Herb O'Brien? Yeah. Okay. When did you first meet him and how was your relationship with him? Well, you know, I actually was lucky enough to, I think I kind of had a, a pretty cool relationship with Herb. Um, one thing that I can say that completely changed my life and why I felt like, you know, um, going to Ronix from Hyperlight was more like my home where I was, was, um, no joke, five minutes after I get off the podium, 2002, last pro tour stop, when I won the, ti- uh, the tour and won the, um, uh, the tour stop, my phone rings, and obviously I had Paul's number in there. It's a 425 number, which is uh, Seattle. And I'm like, huh. So I just pick it up, and it's, hey, Eric, congratulations. It's Herb O'Brien. And I was just like, what? I was like, i literally been off the podium for five minutes, and the owner, the legend, like, just, you know, he's a legend. I mean, One of the kings, yeah. Yeah, I mean, did more for the sport in general than – almost anybody um calls me and just i just want to thank you i'm just so proud of you and you're you know just just like literally just praising me and telling me how proud he is and like like a proud dad calling me you know just genuinely happy just generally happy and just saying thank you for writing our stuff and i'm just like that right there like literally like that's that's a that's a that's something that like i think about like the effect that you can have on someone to in a positive way like like that phone call right there changed my life in the fact that basically it it, my loyalty to that family was solidified yeah from there on you know what i mean so i mean it's you know personal things like that make a make a real big difference in this world and can mean a lot to how you shape your life you know yeah yeah, that's cool. It's definitely a cool story. I feel like all of his history and then kind of continuing it into Square One's legacy is, is definitely a cool side of the sport that I feel like a lot of people don't know about when they're just kind of getting into wakeboarding. Yeah. Um, so. one, of, one of my last memories of him uh, was when we were filming for Defy at that pool because whenever we had do set up like all the years that like for um, like Welcome, all, all those old movies that were all filmed at Radar and all that stuff, like when we'd be riding, he'd be down there, like, in it. Like, he thought it was so cool. Yeah. Like, like you could see, like, him getting, like, giddy. Like You can't fake that. Like, no, he's not faking exactly. it. exactly. Yeah. Like, he's not faking it. Like, he's in there, like, watching it. And, like, you'd get done, he'd come and ask you, like, a bunch of, like, questions. He'd be like, hey, bud, like, what'd you think? Like, like just, like, and, I, and, I, was just, and I, like, I, I just remember, like, stepping away from some of those random conversations with him going, fuck, man. That's cool. It's cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Dang. That's that's super sick. And you said that was when you were filming, when you got Trick of the Year with that back mob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, mobile. literally, like, he was standing next to the pool the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Came up Dang. to me right after I whipped in. He's like, oh, bud, that was sick. <laughs> <laughs> it was sick. <laughs> uh, he, was, he was cool, man. I, I feel very privileged that I got to, you know, personally know him. Yeah, that's super cool. Yeah. Um, I don't have a whole lot else here, you know, unless there's anything else you want to talk about, anything you want to get off your mind, um, anything you want to chop it up about? 
<sighs> no, man, I'm just, uh, you know, I feel like wakeboarding has been very good to me and I'm very fortunate to have lived what I've gotten to live and witness and see and be a part of and hang with amazing group of people throughout my career in this industry. And, uh, really everything I do now is trying to ensure that it exists for more people to enjoy and be a part of and for people to have experience experiences like I've gotten to have. So that's the goal going forward. Yep. So that's kind of what your, your goal is from here on out is to, to continue the legacy almost of, yeah. And like, just even like all of our, our riders, like, I mean, I take what, why I take what I do seriously these days is basically just because I care about these kids and I see myself in them. Yeah. Makes sense. So yeah, it's good shit, man. Yeah. Well, I think everybody in the wakeboard industry is definitely thankful to have you in it. You're, you're definitely a, a real one, a good one to have around. So appreciate it. We're all thankful for that. Um, anyone else you want to thank or anything, uh, you want to get off your mind there? Uh, no, I mean, yeah, thank thank all the Square One family. Thank everybody that uh, that's been good to me in my life, and hopefully, I can give back as much as I've gotten. Love it. All right. Well, I think we did it. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Thanks everyone for listening. Yeah, let's Thanks. get a brewski, huh? Yeah, let's grab a brewski. All right. All right. Thanks everyone.